Good evening, Fellowship College. Hey, we're excited to, to gather. Man, let's, let's remind ourselves uh, the power and the calling that we have to gather together and to worship. It's a special thing. And so we get to do that this evening together to worship our, our one true King, Jesus, who has saved us. And so um, we get to do that this morning by celebrating in baptism here in a second. But before we do that, let's stand together and let's sing praises to the King. Well, good evening, Fellowship Sunday night. How are we doing tonight? This is Lauren and McKenna, and we have an amazing, the story that we're singing about is the story that we're celebrating in baptism. What baptism is, is it is an outward symbol of what Jesus has done internally in a person's life. It's a story that says this life is forever different because the grace and the goodness of our Savior and our King 
Jesus. The second thing that baptism does is it's a marker. It's like a wedding ring on the wedding day. It says, I am a part of the family of the church. I'm a part of the family of this king. And the rest of my life, I want you and everyone else to know that Jesus is my king. And so when we celebrate baptism in here and when we dunk her in a minute, I want you to celebrate. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, I want you to celebrate and I want you to clap and I want you to celebrate with her and on behalf of her. And so we're gonna get a little more of her story. McKenna, would you share? Yes, hey everyone, my name's McKenna. Um, I met Lauren when she was still early in her faith and she was just broken from a bad relationship and she was just eager for change. And um, since then, we've been meeting weekly with each other. She's become a dear friend of mine. And there's not a conversation, y'all, that we have where Jesus is not at the center of it in some way, shape, or form. And so as a friend, it's been so cool for me to see her and her walk with Christ and just how she's gone from someone who has seeked validation and fulfillment in this world to someone who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And it's just so evident in her walk. And so from here on out, Lauren, I just wanna say I love you and I'm proud of you and that your testimony is such a beautiful, beautiful message to us all. And that is that um, God meets us in our brokenness and he just fulfills us whenever we give our lives to him. Well, is it your story? This water is like a thousand degrees, by the way. Um, is it your story that Jesus is your king and you wanna follow him all the rest of your life? Yes. And it's my privilege and honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life! In came the morning that sealed the Father, we just thank you for this night. God, we thank you for uh, just the time to be here together and just worship you, God. Um, you are our living hope. There is nothing that we can do in our own power and in our own good works 
just fail um, time after time again, the only thing that can rescue us is your blood on the cross that we can freely uh, receive. And so God, I just pray that each person in this room recognizes that tonight, Lord, and that we cling to your goodness and we just celebrate the goodness of new life um, in just Lauren's baptism, Lord. We love you. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can have a seat. Welcome, how are we doing? I know Garland already asked you, but I'm gonna ask you again. So it's good to see y'all. Y'all are almost done with semester, right? Just a few more weeks. Woo, yeah, cheer for that. It's been a rough year. Man, y'all have had a hard year. I'm just, I'm just gonna throw that out there. So I'm excited for y'all to be done, especially those of a hard year. Seniors in the room, raise your hand. All right, exciting. Okay, so seniors, we have um, something y'all probably have heard or seen of already. We're gonna have our first young adult worship night. So y'all are officially getting out of the college scene and into the young adult scene. Um, It is gonna be this Tuesday, April 20th at 7 p.m. It's gonna be a a wonderful night of just worship, praising God, and just being with other young adults um, who are also in that season of life. And I know when I, like I said, when I was a young adult, getting out of college is a weird time. It's a very weird time of life. Uh, And having that community of other people that are just like me was so encouraging. And so if you're a young adult, please come. We'll have Burton's Afterward, uh, I know, we just got to plug Burton. So, uh, not, not, sorry, Burton himself will not be here, but Burton's ice cream will be there. So, uh, we are excited, so we love for y'all to come. Um, and if you have any questions, you can follow our Instagram, um, either the Fellowship Fable Instagram or Fellowship College. Um, if you would, go ahead, turn on your neighbor, say hi, tell them what you are studying for this week, what tests you're nervous about, and what you're looking forward to. Crazy. We're almost done with this semester. Um, hey, before we go into the next song, I wanted to uh, tell you something I've been experiencing or I guess learning recently. Um, I'm finding the value in gospel-centered community and authentic community um, when we hear each other's stories. And so, like, just a few weeks ago on Easter, we were singing In Christ Alone, and I've sung that song hundreds of times. I've led it hundreds of times over the years, um, but I just heard a story earlier that week about um, a woman's husband who passed away, and she was, I was co-leading that song that morning, and she was sitting on the second row, and I saw her just fully abandoned, just tears streaming down her face and worshiping and singing that song, and, and as I was singing the song, it, I saw it completely differently. Um, it was an, an all-new uh, new life for moved by that song because I saw, um, I saw I saw it through a different lens and so um, and so I, I wanted to hopefully convince you of that this evening that the importance of knowing each other and being known um, and, and when we learn some um, some things about each other I, I think it moves us to worship and so um, I'm curious show of hands have you, who has heard the story behind the song the hymn it is well 
Okay, cool. I want to tell you tonight. And so this, the story is incredible. So if you know the hymn, it is well. We're about to sing it. But before we do, here's the story. So the, the songwriter, it's a man named Horatio Spafford. He lived in the 1800s. It's an old song. Um, so this guy was, was really well off. He was very successful. He had a big family. He had four daughters and, and a son. He was a real estate investor. Um, and he was living in Chicago. And, but he lived during 1871, which was the great Chicago fire. And so when, that, when the fire happened, he lost a fortune, lost like almost everything. Um, and so he got hit with that. Around that same time, his son contracted a scarlet fever and passed away. And so back-to-back blows, he, he goes to his family and he's like, hey, I think we need to go on a vacation. Like, we just need to get away. So um, he needed to take care of some business at home. So he puts, uh, he puts his wife and his four daughters on a ship, and they set sail across the Atlantic, and they go to England. They're going to go hang out in England. That's where they're going to vacation for a little bit. But, but while they're sailing across the Atlantic, uh, they run into some trouble, and the ship that they're on sinks. Over 200 people on the ship die, including his four daughters. His wife survives somehow and is rescued and uh, is taken to England. She gets to England. She sends a telegram. She said, saved alone, what shall I do? And Horatio gets, he's heartbroken. He immediately gets on a ship and, and sets sail for, for England. And uh, as they're going across the Atlantic, the captain calls for Horatio and, and lets him know, hey, this is where the ship sank. We're, we're passing over the spot in which the ship sank where your daughters passed away. And in that moment, Horatio retreats and he begins to write a song. He says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's stand together and let's sing this song.
grace, we can push out fear. God, our faith being our anchor, it holds a rock in your son, Jesus. A salvation that is unwavering because of the works of your son. So God, that's what we cling to tonight. We can rest in the assurance of our salvation. Man, y'all can have a seat. Ooh, it's hazy in here. That's good. Hey, real quick, I want y'all to take a second and think about this question. Think about why you're here. I don't mean like ex- existentially, but like what events took place to get you here tonight? Or maybe even think about For those of you that are students at the University of Arkansas, how did you get here? If I had to guess, some of y'all, you might have been born and raised in Northwest Arkansas, born a Razorback, you'll die a Razorback, there was never any choice but to go here, and that's awesome. But for some of you, and I I don't mean any offense to this, by the way, I love Arkansas, But for some of y'all, this might have been a fallback school. Can I say that? Am I allowed to say that here? It could have been. This could have been a fallback school, maybe a backup plan. Maybe you had some other intentions. For some of you Texas people, maybe you really wanted to get into the business school at UT and found out they accept like four people and you didn't get in. Or you really wanted that scholarship and it just didn't work out. And so you ended up here. For those of you that don't know, I'm from California, Los Angeles, to be specific. And there's always two questions. It's the same two questions everyone asks when they hear that. And you're probably asking at least one of these two questions right now in your head. The first question is always, do you surf? (laughs) I don't. I wish I did. It's possible. There's some Californians out there who don't surf. I, I hate to to break that paradigm for you. And then the second question is, how in the world did you end up in Arkansas? Like again, I got nothing against Arkansas. This is my favorite place I have ever lived, but my family thought I was insane when I told them that I was moving to Arkansas. They thought I I went off the deep end. And so, just to give you a little, little background, here's how I got here a random series of events. I started in California. I went to a small Christian school called Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California. I went there to play tennis and to study kinesiology. By the way, when I saw this picture, I didn't notice. I have no idea who that girl is. <laughs> like, her, I think she was like a freshman and her entire job was to hold up this kinesiology banner and she is feeling awkward. So that's where I went to school, and I just so happened when I was there to meet someone, uh, started dating this girl who went to this camp called Canacuck. Never heard of it, never knew about it, and so because of that, I went to go work at, at Canacuck, and it, cha- it changed my life. I was like, man, I wanna, I wanna do something with ministry, I wanna do something with, with students, and so, I decided, hey, somewhere down the road, I'll, I'll do this, and then, but for now, I'll like focus on tennis and this relationship. 
Well, in the span of 24 hours, she dumped me and I tore my rotator cuff, literally in the same day. Uh, and so because of that, I was like, called up a guy that I worked at camp with, said, hey, tell me more about this K-Life thing, this ministry that you call K-Life, student ministry. So because of that, they sent me off to the one, the only Highland Park, Texas. That's right. In my, in my five years there, we won three state championships. Come on, three state championships. Thank you. While I was there, rich people need Jesus too. I'm telling you. It, it was not easy. And in that time there, just through a series of events, the Lord gave me this passion for college ministry. And I happened to one day get this phone call from one of my friends that said, that grew up in Fayetteville, grew up going to fellowship. And he was like, you need to take this call with my mentor. He's got a job for you. And so I take this call with Finley Robinson, if you know him, and they told me about this job. And it was exactly what I was looking for. And so this is how I, my wife and I, my wife Lauren and I, moved up to the one, the only, Fable, Arkansas. And seriously, we love it here. LA, Santa Barbara, Highland Park, Fayetteville. It is my favorite city. But as I, as I think back on that, these random events, I, I can't help but ask the question, were, were these all just coincidences? All these little things that, that happened to me that got me here? Or was there some sort of design or some sort of purpose to, to these events? And so that's what we're gonna be looking at tonight. Esther, if you don't know, we're in the book of Esther. Esther is gonna wrestle with this question. Is this a coincidence or is there design to it? Is there some purpose to this? And so we're in the second week of a four-week series. And so if you weren't here last week, let me tell you, just catch you up to speed, a few of these uh, random events, these coincidences maybe that have happened to Esther. And so the story of Esther is all about God's people, Israel, and they are in captivity. They are in exile under the reign of King Xerxes, who is the king of Persia. When you hear the word Xerxes, think of the guy from the movie 300. That's the king we're talking about, King Xerxes. And while Israel is there, there's this queen, Queen Vashti, and uh, she decides not to... Uh, not to accept the request of the king. The king wants to parade her all around. The king wants to show off his wealth, his possessions, and his queen. And Queen Vashti decides, hey, I don't want to just be paraded around, and so she refuses. King Xerxes does not like this one bit. It hits his ego so hard that him and his friends decide, you know what? I need a new queen. I need to find a new queen that will do what I say, that will follow me. And you know what? How about I try and find the most beautiful woman in all the land? And so they have this beauty pageant that goes on. And they take girls from all over Persia. And it just so happens that one of those women is Esther. And so Esther goes through this beauty pageant, and for some reason, she, she finds favor with King Xerxes. And so much favor 
that he makes her the new queen. Out of all the women in Persia, she becomes the new queen. And yet a side story, while this is all happening, there's this, there's this guy, it's the king's right-hand man, his name is Haman. And Haman has this vendetta against Esther's cousin, Mordecai. And Haman hates Mordecai because he refuses to bow down to him. And so Haman, in his anger, in his jealousy, in his pride, what does he do? Not only does he want to kill Mordecai, but he decides, I will make sure all the Jews, all of Israel will be eliminated. He writes up this decree to have a mass genocide of God's people, Israel. And he gives it to the king, and the king signs it. And as a, as a matter of chance, they decide, hey, we're gonna roll the dice. We're gonna cast lots to decide what day this mass genocide will take place. And so if y'all were here last week, Garland left y'all probably in a place of uncertainty. Is God amidst all these tragedies? So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in chapters four and five tonight. If you don't know where Esther is, please don't be afraid to use the table of context, like seriously, uh, context, table of contents. Don't be afraid to use that. Uh, if you're in the book of Psalms, just go back like two, two books, I think, and you'll, you'll be there. But we're gonna be in Esther chapter four, and where we pick up, Mordecai, Esther's cousin, has just found out about this decree that all the Jews are gonna be eliminated. And so he tries to get word to Esther to warn her, hey, there's this decree going out. You must, you have to do something about it. You're our only hope. You have to help save our people. And so in verse 11, we see Esther's reply to this. She says, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is only one law, and that law says you must be put to death, except for the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king for another 30 days. You see what's going on here? Mordecai is pleading with Esther, you have to do something. You have to go to the king. And Esther's saying, don't you know the law? That is a suicide mission. If I were to go to the king without him calling me, the law says you must be put to death. And the only exception would be if Xerxes finds favor and extends the golden scepter to me. But if not, I'll only be walking to my death. Esther's faced with this life or death decision. And here's how Mordecai reasons with her. Mordecai tells Esther, 
don't think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Listen to Mordecai's reasoning. He says, Esther, you, you have the choice. You can stay silent. You can do nothing. But there's a good chance that, that you'll die, that I'll die, that many of the Jews will die. But look at Mordecai's faith. He says, but I know I know the Jews will be delivered somehow, some way. And then he says, and what if, just what if that you were put into this position as queen of Persia for this exact reason? So Esther is faced with a decision. This is where the entire book of Esther hangs. This is the climax of the book of Esther and her story. What Mordecai is saying and what Esther has to decide, is this all, has this all just been a coincidence? All these random events that have led you to become queen of Persia, that have led you to this position of authority that has given you access to the king, limited as it may be. If that is all random, if that is all coincidence, if that is all happenstance, then do nothing. Stay under the radar maybe, live in comfortability, get the most out of what you can right now, and hope for the best. But he's saying, if there is purpose, if there is design to this, if you have been put into this position of queen for a reason, then you have to obey. Then you have to do something. Then you have to risk your life. And so I would argue that the degree to which we trust something or someone determines how much we're willing to risk for that thing. Let me say that again. How much you trust someone or let's say have faith in someone or something determines how much you're willing to risk for that person or for that thing. And I don't think this is just a Christian thing. In fact, for those skeptics in the room, I'm so glad you're here. I want us all to wrestle with this question tonight. And I think even those non-believers here would believe the same thing. How much we, how much we trust something determines how much we're willing to risk. 
And here's how I know, because I see it in culture as well. I'm gonna show you two of my favorite commercials right now, okay? These are two of my favorite commercials, and they're saying this exact same thing. And check out this next one. Oh yeah, he's okay. Just okay. Guess who just got reinstated? Well, not officially. Nervous? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. I'll see you then. Just okay is not okay. <laughs> I think these two commercials, as funny as they are, are are trying to say this same thing. You are not going to go skydiving if you are pretty sure that the parachute will save you. You are not, if you're having a, 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 a surgery, like let's say you or a family member is having heart surgery or brain surgery or a life-risking surgery, you wanna have as much confidence in the surgeon as possible. In fact, I would even argue that if you don't, if you lose any of that confidence, you probably won't have the surgery and you'll go and try and find someone else. The amount of faith that we have in someone or something determines how much we're willing to risk. Or to say it another way, deep faith leads to risky obedience. And so Esther has this decision to make right in the middle of the story. Do I trust that God is in the middle of this? Is he the one orchestrating this? Or has it all just been coincidence? And so look at how she responds. Maybe one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Here's how Esther responds. It says, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. I love this passage if y'all have been keeping along with us, the first three and a half chapters of the book of Esther, she is just floating in the wind. She is doing whatever Mordecai wants her to do, and then she's going and doing whatever King Xerxes wants her to do, and then she goes and does whatever the eunuchs and her helpers want her to do. And then comes this moment where she can no longer be tossed around she can no longer just do what everyone tells her, but she has to decide what her purpose is. And she decides rightly and decides, God is in this, and I'm gonna go do it. I will go stand before the king, and I will go on behalf of my people. And even if I die, so be it. If I perish, I perish. Man, I want... 
I want some of the men and women in this room to be like Esther. I want my kids someday to be like Esther. To have that faith, to risk your life, to be obedient even at the cost of death. And so here's what happens next, chapter five. Esther goes into the, into the inner circle of the king where, where you can't go unless you're called. And she stands before the king. Can you imagine her heart beating so fast? Will this be the last day of my life? Will he extend the golden scepter to me or will I perish today? And she stands there vulnerable, leaving her fate up to the Lord. And look how King Xerxes responds, it's incredible. King Xerxes extends the golden scepter to her, welcoming her into his presence. And not only that, but then he says, Queen Esther, what is it? What do you want? I would love to give you anything you ask for even if it means half of my kingdom, I will give you anything. Esther found favor in the side of King Xerxes. She took that risky step, one step of obedience. She found favor. And so I'm gonna leave you on a cliffhanger again. I know we did that last week too, but I'm gonna leave you on a cliffhanger again and you'll have to come back next week to see Esther took this step of obedience and that one step will lead to more. So here's what I want y'all to see. Deep faith leads to risky obedience. Esther determined that she was there for a reason that it wasn't circumstance, it wasn't coincidence, but that God had a purpose, that God knew what he was doing. In fact, he was the one that was orchestrating, that not a single event, even the rolling of a dice or the casting of lots, she believed that every single one of those events was controlled by God and that he had a part for her to play. And we see this throughout the Bible. We see so many of these these men and women that we look up to that have had to wrestle with this same question. Will I still follow Christ if it means losing my life? Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We see all of the disciples lose their lives in obedience to God, knowing that he was in control, that he had a purpose, that he had a plan. But the greatest of all, Jesus, when he was in the garden, is praying to the Father. He knows that death is just one step away. And he's praying to the Father. Lord, if this can pass from me, take it away. But not my will, 
your will be done. I trust you, Father. His deep faith in the Father led him to risk his life. And in one of the most famous verses, you all know this verse, but I want you to, to look at this verse with, with new perspective. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Jesus said, if I perish, I perish. But when I perish, you won't. And so now, we get to follow that example. We get to follow Christ. And what's even cooler is that Jesus is not only made the way through his death has he given us life. But Jesus is also the golden scepter between us and to God. Because of our sin, we cannot stand in the presence of a perfect and holy God. But with Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, those of us in here who believe, who have faith, can stand before the throne. We can enter into the throne room and stand before God himself, knowing that he will extend the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. And we will not perish, but we will live. And not only that, but out of his love, he says, what is it? Come to me, what do you want? I will give you whatever you need. And so I want you to ask to answer this question, maybe tonight, maybe even as we worship together, why are you here? What are you doing here? What has led you to this place right now? Has it all just been circumstance? Has it all been a coincidence? Or is there purpose? Is there design? Is God orchestrating this? Because your answer to that question will determine how much you're willing to risk. If it is coincidence, then fine. Continue living a comfortable life. Continue pursuing any pleasure that you want. Don't take any chances. Get the most out of right now because tomorrow you'll die. But if there is purpose, if it isn't a coincidence, I'm challenging you tonight to step out into boldness. I'm challenging you tonight to do something risky for the gospel, for the kingdom. That could be as simple as having a conversation with a non-believer. Or it could lead you to being a missionary in a country that hates Christians. But maybe that you were put in this dorm room, at this campus, in your fraternity, in your sorority, 
for such a time as this? And so the answer to this question determines everything. Is it coincidence or is there design? Let's pray. Father, we are unworthy. We don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve to stand in your presence, but because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can stand boldly in your presence. We thank you. I pray for this room that there would be people that would go out and take risks for the gospel, people that would follow Esther's example, people that would follow Paul's example, people that would follow your example, Jesus. Say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Only one thing, will, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Amen. You guys will stand and sing with us.
proclaim this together. In John, Christ says, my sheep hear my voice, know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. We can rest in that assurance this evening as we continue to sing praises to his name.
rise. May you be glorified through our praises and be blessed by our singing this evening, God. God, as we as we go out from this building and, and enter our weeks, may you give us confidence, courage to walk in obedience. God, renew our faith in you, renew our assurance in you and our salvation.